Hi Soma, good to see you again. Hey, last week we looked at the good news and that it's all about Jesus and his death for our sins, his resurrection and the fact that he's the Messiah, the fact that he's Lord. And that's all in accordance with the scriptures. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, we looked at the preaching in Acts of the Apostles and we looked at the four Gospels. And the Gospel is all about Jesus, all about him, that he is the Messiah, our Saviour and Lord. And that's the pointy edge. You know, we can talk about justification by faith. We can talk about lots of things that flow from the gospel. But the actual gospel is the declaration that Jesus is Lord, that he has come as the Messiah, lived and died and risen again for us. That's the good news. And we had a great discussion in our group afterwards, just teasing all of that out and being excited by that. I hope you did as well. Today I want to talk about the victory of Jesus' crucifixion and I want to say some things that might be a little bit different to you and you may not have heard quite before in this way and it might be a bit of a corrective to your understanding and I'd love to get your feedback and I'd love uh, any questions that you have, please ask me. Okay, I want to look at the victory of the cross. Now this event called the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was terrible, it was brutal, it was ugly. Uh, it was a denial of everything that is good and true and wonderful and, and beautiful uh, in the world. And at first glance, it looks like the victory of raw power and military strength. You know, the Romans crushed Jesus and it looks awful. It looks like the power of love has been defeated by the power of brutality. Um, the crucifixion was deliberately staged to be over the top. They crucified lots of people in those days, thousands at a time. But the thing with Jesus is not just the killing, but the mockery, the shaming, putting um, kingly clothes on Jesus and bowing down in mockery of him. Why? Because he stood up against the might of the Roman Empire and spoke against it and spoke against the Judean leadership, which was in league with the empire. And so they killed him, they crushed him, they did away with him. And the shock of Good Friday, the horror of it, um, it's just amazing. It's like the, the disciples who were there, they weren't thinking, oh, isn't it great that Jesus is dying for our sins or he's fulfilling the scriptures or isn't this a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful event? They were absolutely shocked out of their minds at the terrible thing that, 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 that they're witnessing, the death of their Messiah. It was awful for them. They were in utter despair. And until we understand the kind of horror and reality of Good Friday, until we understand that, we won't understand how absolutely revolutionary the good news of Jesus is. Because just a few years later, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And very soon after the terrible shock of the crucifixion, the disciples began to see that this act of Jesus was the ultimate act of God's love for the world. His love poured out for the world. The greatest act of God's love that the world has ever known. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul, who wrote that line, started following Jesus despite himself, despite that he was totally anti-Christian. But he was shocked into recognising that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead 
And the resurrection proves that Jesus' death is not a horrible defeat, but in fact, the greatest victory of all. And even today, Jesus' crucifixion has this incredible power to kind of like stop even cynical unbelievers in their tracks. Cardinal Jean-Marie Lutz was Archbishop of Paris from 1980 to 2005. And he told the story of how three boys decided to play a trick on a priest and they would go into the confessional and confess these wild imaginary sins, all for fun. And so the first two go in and they do that and, and they run away laughing. But the third boy, who was actually a Jew, he came in and the priest gave him a penance. He said, see that statue of the crucified Jesus at the end of the church? I want you to go up to that statue and I want you to stand in front of it and look into the face of the crucified Messiah and say three times, you did all that for me, but I don't give a damn. And so the boy did. He went up thinking it was just part of the fun. He went up to the crucified statue, statue of the crucified Jesus and said, you did all that for me, but I don't give a damn. He said it once, he said it twice, but on the third time he couldn't say it and he broke down and he left that place a changed person. And the reason I know that story, concluded the Archbishop, is because I am that boy. And he became a Christian against the wishes of his Jewish family. He later became bishop against the wishes of many in France who thought he was a social out, uh, outsider. And to his dying day, he lived by the love that had grasped him at that moment. The cross of Jesus, despite its horror, maybe, in, maybe because of its horror, speaks powerfully of the love of God. So what does the cross mean? What is the victory Jesus achieved on the cross? I think of all of us need to look at this freshly. I know when I was seven, my father, who was preaching, explained the cross of Jesus for me, and I received Jesus and surrendered my life to him at that early age. And then since then, I think probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of times, I've explained the cross and taught the cross to people over you know, four or five decades of my life. And yet, even now, even this week, I'm still learning new depths of the cross and discovering new healing energy in my understanding of the cross as I grow in it. So I really challenge you to, 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 to learn with me today and look again freshly at why did Jesus die? And I want to look at the four Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke, and I have four points. Firstly, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John tell the story of Jesus in such a way that they draw our eye up to the cross. And on the way to the cross, they explain what happened and why it happened. And the key idea is that Jesus is inaugurating God's kingdom on earth as in heaven. That's the overall story that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are telling. The first and foremost thing that they say about Jesus' cross is 
that the crucifixion of Jesus establishes the kingdom of God. It's the moment when and the means by which God's kingdom comes. And the creator God at that moment of the cross wins a victory over the forces of evil and establishes his kingdom. See who's in charge at the moment. Well, according to Jesus in Luke's gospel, it's the prince of the power of the air, the power of darkness, the Satan, the Hasatan, the accuser. These are just different names. Something happens on the cross where the evil one and all the powers that are with him that are evil are defeated. One of the first things revealed by the resurrection is that when Jesus was crucified, he had that sign above his head, the King of the Jews. And that was an attempt to mock Jesus, but actually it was saying the truth. This was Jesus' enthronement. And the resurrection from the dead proves that it was, in fact, Jesus' enthronement to power and the kingdom of God dawning. And the ordinary revolutionaries of Jesus' day were hoping for a Messiah who would lead them into victory over the Romans. And Jesus was constantly saying, no, I'm here to win a different victory over an ultimate enemy, a darker enemy. And the four Gospels and Acts and Paul and the rest of the New Testament, they all say that the cross is when Jesus won the victory over death and therefore over sin and therefore over all the dark powers human or spiritual, that stand against God and his kingdom of love. So the first thing is that the Gospels say is that the cross is the climax of Jesus' victory over sin, death and evil and the establishment of God's kingdom. So what is this victory and how did it happen? Well, the second thing the Gospels say is that Jesus deliberately chose Passover to do what had to be done. He could have chosen Tabernacles or Hanukkah or even the Day of Atonement, but he didn't. He chose Passover, the festival of Passover. Why did he do that? Well, Passover is massively important to the Jews then and now because Passover celebrates God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. God won the victory over Pharaoh and his armies and redeemed his people. And God's wrath fell on Pharaoh and the Egyptians because of their idolatry. But each Israelite household placed the blood of the Passover lamb on the lintels and on the doorposts of their houses so that the judgment and wrath of God passed over their houses. Hence, Passover. And then they were led through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, where God met with his people, made a new covenant with them and dwelt with them. This is about God defeating the dark Lord Pharaoh and the dark powers that were behind Pharaoh and setting up his kingdom. And we see that in Exodus 15, for example. This is the kingdom of God being established. But secondly, this happened through the blood of the Passover lamb. 
So these two things really go together. God rescuing his people from their enemies and establishing his kingdom. And he does that, secondly, through the means of the Passover lamb. But here's the thing. In the original context, Passover wasn't really about the forgiveness of sins. For the simple reason that Israel wasn't slaves in Egypt explicitly because of their sin and because of judgment on sin. But by Jesus' day, the Jews had been in exile, an extended exile of 500 years under the dark powers of the Babylonians and the various empires that were oppressing them. And the prophets say that Israel was led into exile because of their idolatry and sin. And so the prophets start to prophesy that what is needed is a new exodus, a new Passover that will again liberate God's people from oppression by their enemies and bring them out of exile and out of the domain of darkness, as it were, of these dark powers and into peace with God and a new covenant. So this is what God's uh, what Jesus cross achieves victory over the dark powers and establishing God's kingdom, but by providing an ultimate answer to Israel and the world's sin and idolatry. In fact, providing forgiveness of sins through him being the Passover lamb. So victory over the dark powers through Forgiveness of sins achieved by Jesus' death as the Passover lamb. And Jesus gives us a meal. And uh, the meal is, is wonderful. It's, it's so simple. It's so good. And the meal is a celebration of Passover, but reinterpreted to be about Jesus. A meal that looks back over the story of Passover and the Exodus and then says, Well, now I am the new exodus and what I'm doing through my death is I am going to be the new Passover lamb. And so in Luke 22, 7 to 23, Jesus celebrates the Passover meal, which was an annual event with his disciples. And Luke makes it abundantly and absolutely clear that this is indeed the Passover meal. Three times Jesus says it's the Passover So, for example, verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So it's absolutely clear that this is the Passover meal. And then Jesus reinterprets it in verse 17 and says, as he hands out the bread, verse 20, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, not of the of the exodus, but of me and what I now will do in the new exodus. Then he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In other words, I am the Passover lamb, and I'm going to bring a new rescue and a new covenant. And he talks about the kingdom in the same breath. I won't eat again or drink from the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. Because his death as the Passover lamb means is the means by which 
God's kingdom will come. Well, it's so simple. (laughs) To understand Jesus' death, all we need is this story of the Passover and this meal where we celebrate that the Passover is ultimately about Jesus Christ. So simple. He doesn't give us some elaborate theories that we get confused by. He gives us this wonderful Passover story and says, that's about me. That's what I've come to do. And now have this meal together, which we now call the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist um, or or communion. And that's what we've been doing for 2000 years. It's so cool that Jesus gave us such a great way to understand what he was doing. He was the Passover lamb and through him would come the defeat of the powers that stand against us and therefore the coming of the kingdom. Okay, well, how does this work? How does Jesus dying as the Passover lamb work? Well, thirdly, the four gospels show us that Jesus does this by what we call representative substitution. This is what's going on. He dies for us on our behalf, just as the Passover lamb died for the family in each of those Jewish households back in the Exodus. Jesus stands in for us and dies in our place. Or like Isaiah's famous prophecy of the coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, When Isaiah looked forward to the new exodus and the new Passover that would come, he said, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, talking about the Messiah. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is saying that the exile and judgment that Israel deserved because of her sin and idolatry, that's going to be placed on Israel's Messiah as her representative substitute. So that Israel and all people everywhere can be forgiven and delivered from exile and delivered from the dark powers that had dominated them in the exile so that they can be delivered from that and be brought into peace with God. So this is representative substitution. Jesus the Messiah takes our sin and death and exile under these dark powers and draws us out from that by dying in our place. The Gospels talk about this, not through giving us theories, but by telling stories. They show us, for example, that Barabbas, a murderer who was under the sentence of death, he set free and Jesus literally takes his place. Luke shows us two thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus And one of them says to Jesus, you are innocent and yet you are dying the death of a guilty person. How much clearer can Luke get? 
And Luke shows us Jesus denouncing Jerusalem and its leaders and its revolutionaries for their radical sin. And then Jesus goes ahead and takes upon himself the full force of the condemnation that he has just announced should come on the Jewish leaders and the temple and the nation. He takes it upon himself. And in Luke 23, Jesus speaks of himself as the green tree who is dying the death that all the dry trees around him had deserved. And in Luke 13, Jesus says, How often have I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This is an image of a farmyard attack, either by a marauding fox or by a fire or something. And the hen gathers her chicks under her wings to save them because the fox will come and he will take the mother hen thinking, oh, he's got a great meal. And he'll go away with the mother hen, leaving the chicks alive. Or if a fire comes, it will do its worst. And there will be, after the fire, the mother hen, dead, blackened. But if you take the mother hen off and remove her from the scene, you will see that underneath her, these chicks are still alive. And the mother hen has taken the death that the fire brought upon herself. And Jesus uses these sometimes violent images um, of him taking the full force of evil and death and sin and condemnation upon himself so that we could go free. And the Gospels insist that he does it because he is Israel's representative king. He's their king. And a king is somebody who represents the people. And Jesus' kingship is a kingship that he defines as the outpouring of God's love. And as the king, as the Messiah, like David, taking on Goliath single-handedly and defeating Goliath and the Philistines, Jesus, as the king, single-handedly, on behalf of all the people, takes on the ultimate enemy. He is the king who pours out his love as our representative, dying in our place for us. And there are different ways to understand the cross. And it's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, there's all these words that we use like redemption, justification, propitiation, reconciliation, adoption, example, healing, cleansing, the new covenant in his blood and so on and so on. There's so many different ways to explain the cross. And these are all just different images or different pictures of what happened on the cross. And in a sense, we can never plumb the depths of what happened. It's just so amazing. It's like um, at the end of a symphony where there's been all these themes in a symphony and they all come together at the, at the climax of the symphony and they're all overlapping each other. 
And that's what happens on the cross. All these things are are happening at once as Jesus dies. But we need to understand all these concepts within the story of Israel coming to its climax in Jesus as the Messiah. And if we don't see them in that context, we can easily distort what they mean and distort the gospel and cause all kinds of hurt and heartache to the people of God. Very important that we see these things and understand them in the light of the story, particularly Passover. And, you know, Passover has so many of these concepts. Redemption. That's the idea of the Exodus, that Jesus rescues his people, redeems them out of slavery and sets them free. Propitiation, turning God's wrath aside, is what happens with the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that God's wrath passes over. Adoption, out of Egypt I have called my son. Cleansing is symbolised by the crossing of the Red Sea. Conquest is that idea of the dark powers being defeated, Pharaoh and his armies. So most of these concepts are seen even in the Passover story and then reiterated and, and developed as you go through the story of Israel. We need to see them in the context of the story. But, but at the heart of all of those ideas and all of those concepts and all of that story, at the heart of it all, is this idea that the victory of the cross happened because Jesus was our representative substitute for sins. How does that work? What's the connection between the victory of the cross and the substitution for sins? Well, fourthly, breaking the power of idolatry. And quickly, the root of all human sin is idolatry, worshipping something other than the creator God. And when we worship something which is not God, we distort and deconstruct and fracture our humanness. And we produce all kinds of injustice and hurt and fragmentation in the world because we have worshipped what is not God and started to reflect that into the world because we were created as human beings to reflect God into the world, his power, his love, his justice, his beauty. And we can only do that if we're worshipping him, if we know him, if we love him. And that truth and justice and beauty and stewardship and wisdom of God will then flow through us and the world will flourish. That was the plan. But when we worship these idols, we give the power that we should have been exercised, exercising as human beings made in God's image. And we give the idols that power. And when we give the idols our own power as human beings, our humanness falls apart. And sin is the chain that the idols that we're worshipping use to, to keep us in their grip, to keep us under their sway. And we have given them that power through our sin, through our worship of them. And that sin keeps us in slavery, essentially. And it's awful. We are enslaved to darkness. And it's that 
But Jesus came to break, to break it away, to cut the chain and take our sins upon himself and deal with them and release us from them. And all the things that we've talked about happen at that point to break us from the power of these idols, the enslaving dominion of these idols and these dark powers, including death itself. That's the victory of the cross. That's how the Messiah, as our representative substitute, that's how he won the victory. Amen.